You're listening to Agency Dealmasters, brought to you by Bridge. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Strap yourself in for this one. Peter Reed is the founder and CEO of MSQ Partners, an international network of nine leading agencies with more than 850 people around the world. And if you are interested in anything to do with serving global clients, how they win new business, how they get all the agencies working together towards a common goal, how they decide which agencies are right for the group and which ones aren't. They've tripled the size of MSQ over the last three years over the pandemic. This is just a masterclass on all things agency networks and growth. If you're interested in anything to do with that, then this is the episode for you. I'm not going to sell it any further. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Peter Reed. My name is Nathan Anibaba, and this is Agency Dealmasters. Agency Dealmasters is a series of conversations with world-class agency leaders building great agency businesses. I believe everyone belongs in the growth journey, and this show is dedicated to the stories and the lessons of ambitious agency builders of all types by examining their history, competitive advantage, and what makes them tick. Now, let's jump in. My extra special guest this week is Peter Reed, the founder and CEO of MSQ Partners, a global group of diverse thinkers who blend human insight with data, technology, and creativity to help businesses drive accelerated growth. They have 10 award-winning agencies who make up the group. You may be familiar with agencies such as Stein IAS, MMT Digital, 26, just to name a few. Peter Reed, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Many thanks, Nathan. It's great to be on. Super excited to have you on the show. Got an absolutely fascinating background and CV. Let's let's start there. So you started your career in management consultancy with McKinsey. That's a place with such huge cultural cachet. People don't normally leave McKinsey, do they? I think they, they do and they don't. And as you say, there are, there are lots of people who stay there for their, their entire career. But there are actually a lot of people kind of like me who perhaps stay for three or four years, sort of use it as a bit of a training ground and kind of move on. And I always think that actually a lot of the cultural cachet is actually the alumni network that they, they kind of build up and the, the power that that has kind of across industries and, and in terms of particularly kind of, you know, in the boardrooms across the country. So fast forward a few years, tell us how you founded MSQ partners? Well, it was, it's interesting you mentioned the McKinsey question. Uh, you know, I had, had a great time at McKinsey. I've learned a lot, but I really wanted to do something that was genuine job rather than just kind of consulting and advising. Um, and I just saw this um, business at the time, which had some agencies, um, but had a lot of other things in it. And I saw the opportunity to take the agency a bit private uh, and really try and build a group that was kind of ready and right for the digital age. So, so tell us a little bit more about that then. Tell us who MSQ partners are, what problems do you solve for your clients, what sort of agencies make up the group? Yeah. It's, I, think, I think it's really interesting and it sort of shows how the market has moved in the last few years and that you know, really we're now very much just at home solving the problems of the CTO as we are solving the problems of the CMO. And actually what we're really trying to do now uh, is trying to bring together the agendas of the CMO and CTO to kind of create that fantastic kind of both customer-focused organization that actually works in, in today's world. Um, and so really to, to do that, what we do is we kind of, we bring together specialist capability 
across all the marketing and tech disciplines. Um, we used to be much more focused on, on pure marketing, but now we kind of have everything from sort of brand and media to PR and content and very much through to sort of digital transformation, tech engineering uh, and MarTech skills. And really, as well as sort of servicing the clients in those specialist areas, what we also do is we bring them together under the MSQ banner when a client's looking for more of a kind of multidisciplinary solution where they've got a single strategy, but they wanted to deploy that all across their kind of customer journey or across all the channels. So give us the context of the CTO and the CMO today in today's environment. Like what environment are they operating in? What are the main pressures that they are, are battling against? Just just give us an idea of, you know, is it is it customer experience? Is it all about is it all about data and, and joining up all of the insights that they're getting from all these all these data points? Like what is what is the world of the modern CTO and CMO look like? Oh, it's a brilliant question. And I actually would start by saying that it, it's probably all of the above. Um, I mean, fundamentally, I, I still think almost all organizations are about finding growth and particularly finding growth now in the kind of the post-COVID world. Um, but to do that is, is kind of harder and it's, uh, it's sort of more of a challenge than it was before. And I think, you know, when it works brilliantly, where we see clients being particularly successful is when you're able to kind of create that sort of data insight and sort of tech underpinning, uh, which to some extent is the, is the realm of the CTO. Um, but you then overlay on that the sort of fantastic kind of uh, brand and creative thinking that delivers this customer experience that is both kind of consistent across the whole uh, the whole journey, but also personalized and relevant for the individual customers. And you can't do that just with the kind of creativity and the brand thinking, but you also kind of uh, can't do it without the sort of the, the real insights about individual customers and customer segments. And you can't deliver it if you haven't got the sort of the tech and the skill set to, to do that. And so what does an ideal customer kind of look like in either in terms of, uh, yeah, revenue size, uh, global locations, just, just give us an idea what an ideal customer looks like. I think, I, I think we're really interesting when I look at our client base in terms of the, from a size point of view that, you know, honestly, we're, we're just as happy with a kind of global Unilever Diageo this world as we are with a more mid-sized domestic business. And, you know, part of that is that because we can kind of have the flexibility in our model. Um, but it's also the fact you can kind of choose to work in a specialist area or as a sort of joined up proposition within, within MSQ. But. If I had to say something, I would probably say, particularly with an MSQ hat on rather than agency hat on, it, it is a it's sort of an international business that's kind of got multiple brands that really embraces the kind of new world of you know data and tech meets kind of content. And you know what we really like to do is kind of build that sort of data and insight underpinning, um, perhaps across multiple brands that then kind of fuel all your activity. And you know we're taking that kind of lead role in not only working on what the brand needs to do in, in, in the sort of new environment, but also really how you kind of build a brand over time digitally by bringing together everything from kind of channel thinking through to influence and social media partnerships, just as much as kind of performance marketing and, and perhaps a bit more traditional techniques. So I want you to put your agency hat back on now uh, yeah. and talk about the agencies within the group. So there are, there are 10 amazing agencies within the group. I mentioned Stein and MMT Digital and, and 26, just to name a few. Give us an idea of the typical makeup of the of the agencies within the group and how do they complement e each other? I, I think, you know, so firstly, it's almost, um, because I said earlier that, we, you know, we try, we try to create this kind of full wheel of, of marketing and, and, and tech capabilities. So I think, you know, what, what we feel like is each agency has its own clear proposition and clear strategy. 
um, which to some extent there are overlaps around the edges, but that they all sort of start and operate in a, in a slightly different place. Um, and they have that kind of both sort of flavor of culture and specialism that enables them to work with individual clients as well as kind of coming together, as I say, um, sort of within the group. But the, the key thing is really knowing what, they, what they're good at and what they like doing and being specialists in that, which I think you need in today's world. But then when we put them all together, they kind of span that full range of capabilities, if that makes sense. How, how do you get them to play together nicely? Because that's always been the criticism against the big the big holding groups that, you know, there's there's a lot of competition and a lot of sometimes mm. infighting. Yeah. How, how, how do you get over that challenge? Yeah, 100%. And I still think it's ultimately the, the biggest issue they, they face at the moment. I think, you know, I, I always say there are really kind of two ways that, that we do it really is that, that the first is that we have, we've always had this kind of employee shareholder scheme. So, the top 100, so like 10% plus of our, our employees are all shareholders in, in MSQ in the group. Um, and I think that's fundamental because we, we find that, you know, people actually want to work together and they don't, they're not thinking about where's the revenue, where's it going to go. They're just focusing on the client. And I think that is absolutely crucial. But I also think, um, and it's harder to sort of you know, identify or exemplify is it is about the people you bring in. And, and I think fundamentally, we've always looked to bring in people who want to collaborate and people who really see the benefit and the interest and the fun of doing that. And I think it's um, at both absolutely crucial, but if you haven't got that in your DNA, it's really hard to build. Um, and that's why, you know, I think when it comes to kind of flexibility and agility, you know, we're always going to be ahead of the holding companies. How do you think about bringing new agencies into the group? Like, what's your criteria for thinking about which agencies should you focus on next? Mm. Yeah, that's another a really good question because it's changed a little bit. Um, you know, we've, we've previously been looking to, to build out capabilities, um, and we, we have done that in the last couple of years. But, you know, we're now at a point where we're primarily sort of looking at what we've got and trying to kind of add scale and build what we've got. So we're particularly looking for an agency that perhaps can bring a, a different geography to one of our existing agencies, um, perhaps into the US or into Asia if we're not there kind of already, um, or to add a, a bit more of a specialist capability. So perhaps in sort of social and content, really kind of doubling down into influencer where we, you know, we work already, but we, we perhaps sort of just add more weight uh, and depth. Um, and to some extent, you know, we're particularly focused on adding scale in the US at the moment. So, you know, anything that kind of really builds our presence there is, is of particular interest. But we're not looking to add another 10 different kind of agency capabilities in the next couple of years. We, we kind of feel broadly we're pretty comfortable with the, the footprint that we've got. Agency Deal Masters is brought to you by Bridge, the growth focused podcast agency. We help ambitious agencies talk to the right brands through the power of podcasting. Generate leads, win new business and increase reputation. Check out our clients' podcasts and find more resources to keep learning at bridgegrowth.org. Now, back to the show. So, so you talked about one way that you differentiate from the, from the big holding groups. How else do you differentiate? I mean, we've, we've already talked about how you collaborate um, and the shareholding initiative. What makes you different to the to the other big holding groups? I think, you know, so you say we, we've kind of touched on the, the cultural bit, which I think is critical around kind of collaboration. Um, and, you know, actually what goes with that is kind of agility and flexibility because, you know, we have a, I think we have a really nice international model that we want to build out, but we don't have... 50 agencies around the world, um, which weirdly now I believe just gets in the way. 
um, because you don't need that if you've got the right sort of sets of tech solutions. And actually, you have too many people imposing their own view on a campaign or on an idea. You, you kind of need the appropriate local insight. But actually, you, you need a relatively tight team, I think, um, actually delivering the campaign. So you maintain that kind of consistency uh, across everywhere, as, uh, along with local relevancy. So that, that's kind of, you know, one thing. But I think the, maybe the more fundamental one from a business point of view is that, you know, I believe that, you know, we, we were very much built and designed for the digital age. Um, and we've always set everything up in that way. Um, and fundamentally, I just don't think holding companies have, have done that. Um, and then hence, you see things like a merger between, say, Wonderman and JWT, which, you know, I understand the rationale for it, but it's almost because all of the structures that are in place already aren't set up for that world. And so that's the kind of the, the only way they can really react towards it. Whereas, you know, we've, we've built this kind of notion of individual specialisms, which you absolutely need in a kind of digital and content first world because it is complex. Um, but you also need the ability to kind of come together in a seamless way. And I think it's very hard to do if you're trying to change an oil tanker, if you know what I mean, rather than, you know, designing something from scratch that, that is very much suited to that particular model. And from the agency's point of view, what, are the, what do they get from MSQ? I mean, how are they integrating the MSQ value proposition in, into what they do? Uh, I mean, hopefully on, on, on a few different levels. I mean, the, the first thing is, you know, while we talk about and I talk about sort of serving clients as MSQ, you know, when we're doing that, we're building a bespoke team of people from around our agencies. So, you know, they're participating in that um, and they're both getting, getting revenue from that, but also hopefully great new business opportunities and chances to do some, some fantastic client work. Um, but I also think uh, that there is an important piece around everything from, you know, we always have a kind of two-way discussions around strategy um, and et cetera. And I think there's a kind of common set of cultural principles uh, that we apply. So while each agency might have subtle differences in culture and particularly geographically and, uh, and the alike, I do think we try and build this kind of single organization and we've, we, we spend a lot of time on internal comms. Uh, we've done a lot in the sort of sustainability agenda, which I think people can really subscribe to. So, you know, really try and kind of bind the group together whilst sort of not undermining the DNA of the individual agency. And you said that obviously at the top of the show, we, we talked about McKinsey. What, what have you brought from McKinsey? What principles or what kind of management frameworks have you thought about bringing to the way that MSQ operate? I think you know, the first thing is actually just having a really clear strategy. And then it sounds really obvious, but kind of having something that, that is, is clear and easy to explain and people understand, I think was um, probably one of the biggest things I, I was taught there. Um, and I, we really and we always try and bring together this notion of kind of, you know, really being data driven uh, or, you know, wherever possible and then supporting that with digital and tech. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, McKinsey's always been rigor and data at its heart. And over the last years, particularly actually since I've left, I think it's really focused on you know things like, you know, what is the right digital transformation solution, et cetera. Um, so I think there's, there's, there's lots of that. The, the other thing that, you know, I think you, you learn, which obviously you underestimated in McKinsey, is their fundamental mantra is kind of client first and kind of client service. Um, you know, we really try and excel on that at, at all times and, you know, make sure our senior people remain engaged in client relationships, you know, making sure we're, we're genuinely giving clients the right answer and the, the best possible service alongside that. So those are probably the, the, the kind of the, the fundamentals that, that I think I've brought from there. Now, MSQ have uh, have completed four deals since since COVID uh, in the last two years. So you've tripled your growth in the last two years. What do you put that down to? 
I think, you know, firstly, you know, I absolutely have to say, we, you know, having a supportive um, and sort of forward looking private equity partner has been really fundamental, um, not only in actually you know, providing some capital to, to do that and buying into the strategy and supporting us, um, but also, you know, we're doing that through, uh, you know, through COVID in particular. I mean, the biggest deal we did uh, for Be Heard was literally most of the process between March 2020 and September 2020. Um, and I think if you didn't have a supportive partner, you know, you just wouldn't have been able to do that in lockdown and in, in those circumstances. So honestly, I think that is kind of fundamental. And I think the, the other piece is having a kind of clear strategy and, you know, knowing the bits at the time we really need to add into the group and the direction we were going um, and then looking to execute on it. So you mentioned Be Heard then. Talk us through that acquisition, because I, I heard that's a really interesting kind of example of, of how you operate and, and the value that you add to each other. Um, yeah, maybe talk us through the thinking behind that one. Sure. And, uh, you know, that one really helped. It was of the case where, you know, I'd known Ben Rudman, who was the COO, you know, now uh, very much part of the MSQ management team for, for a long time. And I particularly knew and admired MMT, uh, which you mentioned as, a, as an agency. I think it really led the kind of digital transformation space um, from an agency point of view. And so, so I did know the group quite well, but it was really the opportunity to add real depth in tech capabilities and real depth in digital insight capabilities, which were two areas we knew we were we were lacking. And it just felt like a brilliant opportunity to bring the, both of those into the group, but also you know add scale to the group. And we were actually slightly underweight in London. We, we've always had more people outside London rather than in London, which we think is interesting. Um, but actually, it's, it was great to have kind of more people in, in, in London as well. So that was the kind of premise of it. Um, and I think what was great was that actually you know, within Be Heard and Ben and his team, they were very much on the same journey as we were, which was like looking to build something out over the medium term that was a, effectively a next generation kind of, you know, marketing meets tech group. Um, so they not only really bought into the strategy and the culture, um, but we were able to do a deal whereby they came in as shareholders into the group as well, to a large extent. Um, and they were very supportive of that because they were looking at things in the long term. Okay, last question before we get into our favourite questions. Um, so Martin Sorrell says it's all about digital. It can't be all about digital, is it? Is it all about digital? Surely, where does brand and creative come into all of this? No, I mean, that's probably my favorite question um, again, because, you know, on the one hand, I, I really hesitate to, you know, disagree with Sir Martin. I mean, whatever you, uh, you your views are, you know, he's had a fantastic career and, you know, multiple iterations of it. But, you know, fundamentally, I do disagree with that. And, you know, for me and, you know, the way we've set up MSQ, it's about having those core data and digital and tech skills as a kind of enabler or an underpinning. But it's the combination of that capability with creativity and brand, as you say, that, that to me really make the difference. And I think it's going to become more and more important over, over the next couple of years. And really, it's not even rocket science, but you know, fundamentally, people don't react to the digital and the tech, uh, the martech, but they, they react emotionally to the kind of content, the creativity that, that you see. Uh, and so I think that's that's really where you know we are always looking to double down on you know what is that fantastic idea? What's the kind of brand idea? What's the, the kind of creative spark? And then the difference is now, as you alluded to earlier, Nathan, you've got to deliver it across the customer journey and deliver a seamless uh, customer experience, which is more complicated than it used to be, but kind of you know more important than ever in my view. I can't let you go without asking our favorite questions. I know we're against the clock. I've only got you for a few more minutes, but let's let's jump into our favorite questions now. Um, tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from that experience. 
the, the one that really comes back to me and, and you know, is it's not a it's not a sort of revolutionary learning was was actually kind of starting my career or trying to start my career uh, at kind of a university. Um, I applied for lots of graduate training schemes and you had to get a job straight afterwards and and broadly it was rejected from from everywhere. Um, and, you know, particularly when I look back at it, I think there, there were a couple of things. A, you know, the importance of being very clear what you want to do and all that. But actually, it kind of showed me, and I've seen this a number of times subsequently, that, you know, nothing in your business career is easy. Um, you know, you, you genuinely have to kind of, you know, work hard at everything you do. And you've got to have real clarity of what you're trying to achieve. And if you kind of almost step back and think, oh, it's going to be relatively easy to achieve something, generally you get disappointed and you've got to fail again so um you know that that's been one i you know say it's not it's not um it's not necessarily deep learning but i think it's a really important one to take away i'm trying to communicate that to my eight-year-old son at the moment he wants to be a youtuber (laughs) and he just thinks oh it's easy money you make youtube videos and then you become a millionaire and i'm like well there's a lot of work that goes into that. <laughs> There's a lot of preparation. How do you communicate that to an eight-year-old? I'm having the same conversations with my my 13-year-old. Oh, my God. <laughs> so hard. Um, what's the most interesting thing that people don't know about your background? I think it's it's sort of the traveling that I did probably, you know, after school in, in university. Um, in the, I spent you know, a lot of time in Asia, uh, South America, Central America. Um, and I think particularly, you know, going to places like India, you know, you, you can't help but sort of, you know, have, you know, both memorable times and the odd challenges along the way. And uh, I think it's a great, you know, it's great to make use of that in your life because you don't get these opportunities uh, as often in the future. But I think it just gives you that kind of cultural understanding that you perhaps you don't have if you haven't spent spent time in those types of places. What do you do to keep mentally and physically fit? Um, it's it's a very relevant question at, at the moment. Uh, it, to be honest, it's, it's mainly I do, particularly since COVID. Again, like a lot of people, I've kind of probably doubled down on exercise and you know trying to do a, you know at least a small amount of stuff every day. But um, I'm I'm currently eight days away from a 700 mile and seven day um, sort of charity uh, bike ride for cancer research. One of our clients. 700 miles. So wow. I'm, and I'm slightly um, beginning to get the fear about um, <laughs> the lack of training around it. <laughs> you should have put in those those hard yards months ago. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amazon Prime or Netflix? What are you watching or streaming that's good? So I, I'm currently actually um, sort of Apple, Apple TV at the, at the moment. Um, uh, and sort of, Great um, content. Uh, yeah, and, and and actually, what I'm particularly enjoying is um, Slow Horses, uh, which is sort of that, an adaptation of a Mick Aaron uh, series. Um, uh, so, really enjoying that. And more generally, and probably sort of you know Netflix as well um, is probably my go-to. Tell us about some of your favourite books: fiction, non-fiction, business-related, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I was, I was sort of thinking about this and, and actually probably the, the two books I'd say are my, my favorite books are, you know, are, you know, at the heavy end of sort of, you know, probably War and Peace and Crime and Punishment. And you, wow. You know, particularly in the current times, you, you, you sort of think about that and, that, you know, it makes it even more sad, the kind of the, the current situation that Russian society is, you know, is facing and, and having to endure. Um But I, as I've got older, I will admit, I've probably gone a bit lighter. Um, <laughs> and so... Yeah. Again, at the moment, well, recently I've just re- I've just read uh, the you know Slow Horses, as I said, which now on TV has been the whole series, um, sort of um, uh, Box Eighty Eight by Charles Cummings, um, and I think probably unusually, uh, I, I've never read a full business book. Um, 
but if I had to recommend anything, it would actually would be back to McKinsey that there's a book called um, The Pyramid Principle by Barbara Minto. Um, and you only really need to read the first chapter, but I think it gives you a really good way of kind of writing and telling stories and, and sort of putting together presentations. So uh, that, that's the only one that's really stuck with me. Yeah. So I tried to read that book a couple of years ago. It's hard. It's dense. Um, and it's a fantastic book. The, you're right. The first chapter is is brilliant. But then I find my eyes glazing over the further yeah. I get into the book. But I'm sure it's brilliant. Uh, uh, I mean, I, like, I didn't really get past the first first chapter, but the, the nature of the book and the message it's trying to give, actually, it tells you everything in the first chapter you really need to know. Got it. Last question, and then I'll let you go. What do you know about growing agency businesses today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? Mm. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is, is honestly to, to not try and overcomplicate um, things and that yeah, the, the the work we do and the propositions we have to develop for clients are increasingly complicated uh, and you have to kind of work through that and develop that. But the fundamentals of agencies and even professional services uh, firms more generally are, you know, are still relatively simple. And so, you know, that's the thing I always focus on, you know, really trying to get the, the best people who are, you know, get a great diverse team who are really aligned, have a clear proposition and really want to kind of drive growth and excited about building an agency. That's ultimately what you know. What's important if you get that right, you, you're in a, in a pretty good place. And probably the, the one thing, even over and above that, that I constantly remind myself, and I think it's genuinely a great lesson, is is just don't get overconfident because agency life is full of kind of steps forward and half step backs. And as soon as you think you've cracked it all, generally it kind of comes back to, to bite you. So you know, I always think keep it relatively simple and you know, keep yourself grounded, and you're not going to do too far wrong. Mm, great place to end. Peter, thank you so much for doing this. No, no, thanks, mate. I really enjoyed it. We have been speaking with Peter Reed. He is currently the CEO and founder at MSQ Partners. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 170 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in the agency space. Head over to agencydealmasters.com and sign up to our weekly newsletter for exclusive subscriber-only content not shared on the main feed. Follow us on LinkedIn and send me a message there if you want to get in touch. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Boaszczek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. You are listening to Agency Deal Masters, brought to you by Bridge, the growth-focused podcast agency.